I don't have anything funny to say about that except that that's the first time I've ever followed I'll Fly Away in bluegrass style, I think, which is awesome. Michael was daring me to get up here and to start doing a little hoedown, and uh, you don't want to see that. <laughs> oh, it's so good to be here this morning, you guys. Uh, my name is Scott, and I'm uh, delighted to have the opportunity to teach today. I'm the Connection Minister. Welcome to those of you online as well. I'm grateful for the opportunity, and today we're going to look at in the book of Matthew. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Uh, so you'll want to get your Bibles out. If you don't have one with you, there is one right in the back of the pew there for you. That's the translation we'll be working out of, which is a CSB, Christian Standard. Uh, so uh, we're going to have you turning a lot if you're up for it today. Uh, you're going to be looking at some in Deuteronomy and some in First Peter. Uh, and uh, you can jump wherever I go if you'd like. It'll be a lot of fun. So um, let me... Uh, uh, I, I want to pray, but I do want to just say that in this Matthew section, what we're going to be looking at is uh, the story of Jesus, and uh, we're going to be finding out more about his identity and his mission uh, to the world. So let me pray as we begin, uh, and let's ask the Lord to bless our time together. Lord, we pray that you would uh, indeed um, teach us through your word this morning what you'd have us to know. We pray your Holy Spirit would give us wisdom so that we might be changed, Lord, to not only only become more like Christ, but uh, so that uh, we can honor you in understanding our rightful place as children of God. Help us, Lord, to understand Christ more fully, that we may respond according to your will and for your glory. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, the Bible is clear that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. The New Testament refers to Satan, the devil, or the tempter almost 70 times. And there's no doubt that the New Testament writers were keenly aware of his presence and power on earth and his opposition to Christ and the work of God. And today we're looking at Matthew's record of the temptation of Jesus and how Satan uses and how God uses Satan's tempting as a test for the Lord. And my hope is that through the story, we'll recognize more clearly who Jesus is and we'll delight in that knowledge and be formed by it. So uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew 4, 1 through 11 and I did, like I said, I did give uh, Jay uh, and the team up there a lot, of, a lot of references. So we want to be gracious to those guys if, if they're not quite on the same page as us because I, I gave that to you late. I'm sorry about that, Jay. But let's look at Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights... He was hungry. Then, at that point, the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Notice Satan speaking uh, scripture from the Psalms there. Jesus told him, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of their world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and began to serve him. May God bless the reading of his word. We want to consider the context of this story. Matthew begins his gospel with a genealogy that identifies Christ as the one who has come to reestablish God's presence and kingdom among his people. If we look in chapter 3, we see that Jesus has just been baptized. You can turn there just a little bit ahead. He's been baptized by John the Baptist at the Jordan River. And Jesus' baptism and temptation in the wilderness are the two events that commission him for his earthly ministry and his mission, which ultimately will lead him to the cross. Regarding Jesus' baptism, Matthew writes, and this is chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. It's notable that in this scene we see the work and presence of the Trinity, The Son comes up from the water, the Spirit descends, and the Father speaks. It's also significant that God the Father testifies publicly that Jesus is his Son, and that he declares his pleasure with the Son, which brings us to the temptation passage. So chapter 4, verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led up. By the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, I do want to stop just a moment here because in the past, I have always been challenged by this verse. Uh, I've uh, this, this idea that the Spirit would lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's always been a challenge, especially since we know that God has just expressed pleasure with Jesus, his son. But we need to understand that God is not tempting Jesus. Satan is. Yet God in his sovereignty is using this encounter to test Jesus' heart. James 1, 12 through 13 says, Blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person 
is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So as we read and think about this scripture, we want to remember that this is Jesus' commissioning story, his testing story, his baptism and temptation. They're told to us to help us to understand better who he is and what he has come to do. Although we are reading Matthew's words here, Matthew's gospel, uh, R.T. France suggests that the temptation account could only have come from Jesus. He was giving it to his disciples. Therefore, it gives an important glimpse into Jesus' self-perception as the Son of God and judging by the scripture he quotes the way he perceived his own relation to Israel. Matthew includes the temptation account as a declaration that Christ is the true Son of God and that he has come to do what the former Israel has not. And I want to explain that a little bit. So when reading the temptation story, we need to keep in mind that there are overlapping kind of parallel stories that are happening here. Uh, these stories are kind of the, the, in, the, in the drama of God's uh, redemptive plan. And the background story is the story of Exodus. If you remember uh, the story of Exodus, when God leads the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land, this is Exodus 4, 23. It says that when God commanded Pharaoh to let his people go, God told Moses, then you will say to Pharaoh, this is what Yahweh says, Israel is my firstborn son. I told you, let my people go so that he may worship me. God relates to Israel as his son, his firstborn son. And if you remember, after leaving Egypt, God parts the waters of the Red Sea to rescue Moses and the Israelites, in effect, baptizing his people. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2, saying, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. Referring, of course, to God leading Israel and the Israelites by cloud and fire and through the sea. Hosea 11.1 1 states that out of Egypt, I called my son, referring to Israel. Yet because of their disobedience, the Israelites were made to wander. They wandered in the desert for 40 years. Yet in God's great patience, God tested their hearts. He continued to test their hearts. But they were stubborn and disobedient and they failed over and over again. Now, as if we're reading the Israelite story ourselves here in this account, this temptation account, we remember that Jesus himself is baptized 
And God audibly tells the world that this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And notably in chapter 2, verse 15, just a little bit before, Matthew cites the same Hosea scripture, 11.1, when referring to Jesus. He says, out of Egypt, I called my son. So Matthew is identifying as he writes this gospel, he's wanting his audience to know. He's identifying Jesus as this new representative Israel. And they are locked in. They, they understand that. You see, as God has a similar mission in store for Jesus. And what we see is that God's testing of Jesus is like that of the Israelites in the Old Testament. Whom God called out. He set them apart. Exodus 19.6, in the story, tells us that, the, that Israel is commissioned by God to be a kingdom of priests, God's holy nation, serving God, blessing other nations, and reconciling them to God. That's an amazing mission. Again, he calls Israel out and tells them, commissions them to be a Kingdom of priests, God's holy nation, serving God, blessing other nations, and reconciling them to God. Deuteronomy 10 12 also helps us to understand Israel's calling a little bit. It reads, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? Except to fear the Lord your God by walking in his ways, to love him. And to worship the Lord God with all your heart and all your soul. But again, because of their disobedience, Israel failed to accomplish their calling. The good news is, though, is that Jesus does not fail. He's true to the calling. Jesus is the one who will establish the royal priesthood that serves God and that proclaims his praises. This Israel and Jesus parallel, it's further established when we look at how the true son of God responds to God's testing in this passage. Again, R.T. France says of the temptation account that it is a description of the lessons God put before the Israelites in the wilderness before their mission of conquest of the promised land when he tested them as a man disciplines his son. Israel failed to learn its lessons, but now the true son of God, at the outset of his mission, faces the same tests in the wilderness and succeeds. Let's continue uh, in Matthew here, verse 2. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, remember, Israel's wandering in the desert for 40 years, Jesus was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answers from commands by God in Deuteronomy. He says, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil takes him to the holy city, has him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and says to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. And again, Jesus responds, do not test the Lord your God. 
commands from Deuteronomy. Moses speaking for God to the people of Israel. This is what you are, these are the commands that I give you. And Jesus is speaking those same commands. In a way, God speaking God's word. It's beautiful. And again, this final temptation, the devil took him to a very high mountain. This is verse 8. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And says, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. How ironic. I will give you the kingdoms of the world. And we know that Jesus is the true king. That they're already his. Praise God. Jesus responds again from God's commands in Deuteronomy. Worship the Lord your God. Serve him only. Notice how these first two temptations, in them Satan addresses Jesus by saying, if you are the son of God. Again, he's, this is, he's asserting, he knows and is asserting again Jesus' identity as the new representative of Israel. Of Israel the true Son of God. But what's even more defining are Jesus' responses. So let's look at his responses in a little more detail. The first response, if you'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's funny, I was practicing that because this week, and I was forgetting Genesis. I'm like, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Like, where's the fifth book? Where's Moses' fifth book? Why am I forgetting this? You always start with Genesis. Always go back to Genesis. That's a, always go back to Genesis. So we're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses has just reviewed the Israelites, with the Israelites, the Ten Commandments, which are, were given to him on Mount Sinai. And now he is explaining the laws further. Because this is the time where it, the Israelites are, are preparing to go into the promised land. This is actually kind of the second review of the Ten Commandments and, and, and uh, preparing the Israelites uh, to go into the promised land. Uh, to the first temptation, Jesus responds, Man does not live on bread alone. This is Deuteronomy 8.3. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. But let's back up just a little bit. Let's... Read from verse 1. Again, this is Moses talking to the people of Israel. And he's preparing, a, he's preparing them to go into the promised land. But I want you to keep your mind on the, the parallel story of Jesus here uh, and Jesus testing and what God is saying to Jesus. So 8, 1 through 3, Moses speaking to the Israelites says... Carefully follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and take possession of the land the Lord swore to your ancestors. Remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your ancestors had not known, so that you might learn. And here's where Jesus responds to Satan, that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, 
but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So, just as Jesus is entering into the land of Galilee to begin his earthly ministry, we understand the purpose of his being led into the wilderness, the purpose of his fasting, the purpose of the temptations, so that God might humble him and test to know what was in his heart, whether or not he would keep his commands. And praise God, Jesus keeps his commands. Now, we knew he would. He's 100% God, 100% man. But he passes the test. He does not sin. Look at the second and third responses here. We're now in Deuteronomy 6. Responding to Satan's second temptation, Jesus says from Deuteronomy 6.16, Do not test the Lord your God. And to the third temptation... Jesus says from 6.13, fear the Lord your God, worship him. But again, let's back up a little bit to the beginning of chapter 6 even. And let's keep our minds aware of the parallel story that's happening with Jesus testing. Deuteronomy 6.1, and then I'll jump to 4.6. Moses says to the Israelites... This is the command, the statutes and ordinances the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land you are about to enter and possess. And in verse 4, Moses continues, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words I am giving you today are to be on your heart. Does Jesus have God's word in his heart? Of course he does. Absolutely. He's quoting them. And why is Jesus having to go through the testing? So that God might humble him and test him to know what is in his heart whether he would keep these commands. Does Jesus keep God's commands? You bet he does. You bet he does. D.A. Carson notes that in Jesus' temptations, God clearly purposed to test him just as Israel was tested. And Jesus' response is they prove that he understood this. So to summarize the story a little bit here, Jesus, after he is baptized and identified by the Father as the Son of God, is led by the Spirit into the wilderness for his final act of commissioning before his earthly ministry and mission. After 40 days and nights of fasting, being humbled, tested by God and tempted by Satan, Jesus' heart is proven to be true to the Father and in the keeping of his commands. As the true Son of God, Jesus will carry out his mission of establishing a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, God's holy nation, who serve and worship God and who bless other nations, reconciling them back to God, accomplishing what Israel could not. 
And he will go on to live a sinless life, proving to be the only one worthy to die on the cross for our sins. That's the good news. That's great news. So what do we do with the text? How do, how do we respond? We've seen, we've been reading how Jesus has been responding, but now how do we respond to this, this text? Well, I want to suggest three ways. First, we can delight in God's word, recognizing the faithfulness of God. We can recognize in the faithfulness of God the Father and God the Son. And though Israel was disobedient and could not fulfill God's commission upon their lives, the Father was faithful to his promise, sending us Jesus. Jesus was obedient and faithful, even to death on the cross. One note about the scene of the death on the cross. Matthew 27, 40. As Jesus is hanging on the cross between two thieves, and as those who passed by yelled insults and shook their heads, Jesus hears from the crowd. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. D.A. Carson states that Satan's aim in this temptation story was to entice Jesus to use powers rightly his, but which he had voluntarily abandoned to carry out the Father's mission. Just as he's about to die, there's one last temptation to do that, to abandon the rights that are his. And he gives up those rights. Praise God. I suggest that we respond with grateful hearts to the faithful son of God who voluntarily gave up his rights to give sinners like you, to save sinners like you and me. And if you have not put your faith in Christ, I pray that you will, that you'll believe even today. Repent, be baptized. Our second response, we can recognize that just as Israel was called by God to be a kingdom of priests, God's holy nation, God, serving God, blessing other nations and reconciling them to God. Well, where they failed, Jesus has come to call us and to commission us to do the same, to do the same with him as our cornerstone. I want to read 1 Peter chapter 2, if you'll turn there with me. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read 1 through 5 and then 8 through 10.
in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 5. Peter writes, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. To verse eight, they stumbled because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This sound familiar? A people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy. But now you've received mercy. How do we respond? Finally, we can stay faithful to Jesus' great commission in Matthew 28. I love this. In the beginning of Matthew's gospel, he introduces us. The the, the Trinity is there. And now at the end, as he's commissioning, we see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit present Matthew 28, 18, staying faithful to the Great Commission. After his resurrection, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's respond by worshiping the Lord as God's royal priesthood, a people for his possession. And let's proclaim the praises of the one who has called us out of darkness into this marvelous light. Can we pray together?